everybody. I hope everybody is safe out there. And I took a gasp saying that because it's hard to find the words nowadays um, with uh, so many uncertainties and so much turmoil out there. But most of all, I hope that everybody's safe and everybody has has a pocket of uh, peace of mind inside of uh, wherever their, their, their mind is right now, where they're thinking. Um, I'm here with my guest who I've been so excited to talk to for such a long time because he is the only <laughs> source that I can count on when it comes to how men think, how we should think about the way men think, how men should relate to us women when it comes to relationships. And that is Mr. Connor Beaton of Man Talks. Hi, Connor. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. Connor, you have an amazing podcast called Man Talks. You also have men's groups that meet regularly um, that you connect with on the internet. And you have amazing, wise posts that not only influence men out there, but myself. And I've sent some to my fiance. So first off, I want to ask, how are you doing during these times? Yeah, I, I'm over well. I'm overall, I'm doing pretty well. I think, um, you know, they are challenging times. And we've definitely, my wife is a marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. And so we've just seen a huge influx of people that are looking for support and guidance and trying to make sense of, of the time. So, um, but outside of that, doing well overall. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been really excited to have you on because honestly, before... I would say um, before Ahmaud Aubrey, before Breonna Taylor, before George Floyd, I would have had you on to talk about how men think and what are the basic one, two, threes that we should think about when it comes to relationships. But now, because, and thankfully because of the events that have happened, I actually want to plug into even more than just mm -hmm. the way men are thinking, but just how men and their makeup and their self-awareness plays into now the responsibilities that we have to have, you know? And obviously, you, you, you know, you're not to speak for all men, but what have you been noticing when it comes to the, your, your, the men that you work with, the men's groups that you've been in contact with? What have you, you've been noticing the atmosphere when it comes to men? I especially think as like, as leaders and as, you know, fighters and, and um, people, men that are a little bit more, um, you would think naturally um, charged and, and I don't know, a little bit more forceful about situations like this. And I'm just making super stereotypes, but like, what, what do you think men are, are thinking right now? Yeah, I mean, there's a, so I run a online community that's free for guys and, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of men in there. And it's, it is interesting to see just the, the sort of division of opinion that that's happening. And so there's a lot of sort of trying to figure out classic sort of you know male questions of like how do we support what do we do what's our role what's our part you know what do we need to know who do we need to listen to you know a lot of conflicting sort of information and resources and so I think a lot of guys are in a position of trying to sort of sort out not only where they stand but how they support the conversation that's happening mm. right now because of George Floyd and because of the circumstances that unfolded I think that you know there's a lot of conversation around privilege there's a lot of conversation around you know what what do we need to know what do we need to learn how how do we support in a way that is effective that creates you know substantial change who are the voices you know within the black community that we need to listen to that we need to amplify and elevate so i think all of that's happening and there are you know obviously outside of uh, the you know the community that I run I think that there's a lot of 
controversy around this, around like the rioting and looting. And so there's a lot of opinions that are just sort of, you know, being spewed all over the internet as, as normally happens when anything happens. But I think what we're seeing right now is, is sort of, um, it's an amplification of what was happening with COVID, right? You, you have, I talked about this quite a bit in the last couple of months with when you, when you have isolation that equals amplification. And so anytime that you isolate an individual or a people or a group, you're going to, you're going to amplify the problems that that person or group are experiencing. And so, you know, the United States just went on lockdown the last couple of months, people are isolated, they're locked at home and they are, their internal states are amplified, right? Our inner critics amplified, our anger is amplified, our sadness, depression, our coping mechanisms, right? Binge watching TV, all of those types of things have just been amplified exponentially. So when you, you know, mix in this, you know, very um, devastating, you know, incident, which was clearly racially charged and, and horrendous to watch, you are going to amplify the, the response to that. And so I think that's really what we're mm. seeing. And a lot of men are trying to figure out like, you know, how do we not keep peace, but how do we progress the conversation forward? So that, that seems to be pretty prevalent right now. I'm really thankful that you recognized that peace isn't necessarily the priority right now. I mean, it's a goal mm-hmm. to get to, but that you're empathetic to why some people feel the farthest from peace. Yep. And man, I, I, I've been in a struggle because my, my natural personality is to be very solutionary. Like I'm always like, okay, w- what can we do? You know, but obviously when this, this issue, I mean, it's grown beyond just George Floyd, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's become a very, uh, it's become an astounding realization that nothing has changed from the day that slavery has started. I mean, nothing has changed. And the, the disappointing results of all of the work our past icons and, and ancestors and, and, and protesters and leaders have done before us have not made one change. I was just researching some beautiful speeches that were from, you know, from Malcolm X to obviously Dr. Martin Luther King and James Baldwin, and all of them were asking for some of the same exact things that we struggle with in systemic racism today. The exact same things. Like mm-hmm. it, you could literally play them in full color on an Instagram post today and it would look like they had just said it today. It's, it's really yeah. crazy. Um, and so I, I, you're right. The big frustration is we, it, it, we don't have an answer. So it, it's hard to kind of boil down what do we do when it comes to housing or prison reform or you know, criminal injustice, obviously, and education. There's so many areas. And then the bigger issue is where's our leader? I mean, that, that's the part, too, where you don't know what voice you can follow and, and understand. And that was also evident during the pandemic, too, right, Connor? Because you had the president saying one thing and the different states saying different things and then people not abiding. And um, so it, it, it's a really weird and interesting lead up to this mm-hmm. time. And I saw an image that was really beautiful and, and, and dark and and. and and um and sad at the same time which was uh george floyd's daughter i'm sure you've seen it by now it's it's, it's pretty viral but he, she's sitting on the shoulders of her his brother and mm-hmm. her arms are up like this and she said look at what my dad did look at all this that my dad did and and um my dad's a hero she was you know saying this over and over again and um my fiance and i were talking about this and in, in how you know for those that that watch this and believe that all of our lives have purpose everybody 
their talents, what you have to say, a message, an act has purpose. And what if George Floyd's life, you know, that this, that this was a pivotal moment for everybody internationally. I mean, across the 50 states, from Paris to Berlin to Germany, this is the first time you've got everybody, the people on the same side of what, what needs to happen, which is human rights, which is yeah. Black Lives Matter, period. Nothing yeah. else following that. And so, Connor, what I've really noticed, even though it's painful to watch and to be a part of um, most of the time, I've seen people really connect together, whether it's through the protest or the riots. People are, it's helpful to, to, to go out there and actually see an ally, see another person that believes, yes, I've never met you before, but all I care about is you and I believe in the right thing. We believe in what's supposed to happen here. And so you join forces. And that's where you're just seeing strangers all over the world connecting. This is the first time I've ever seen one issue, especially happening in the United States, that has affected every single 50 states. We've had riots and protests in all 50 states and even across the globe from Berlin to Australia, to Paris, Germany. And so I'm really noticing that the number one thing you have to do within your own mind is to go and connect with somebody. You have to speak out on this. Even if you're really frustrated at protesters, even if you're angry at what's happening, you can't keep to yourself. It's almost a dangerous place to be. You need to find somebody to communicate with. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I think I think. What do you right think now, that is? The, the connection piece. Yeah. Why do we, why do we need somebody else? And, and, and why is it important to, if you don't feel like you need somebody else, but you're angry inside? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the systems that, that we have in place right now from a society standpoint, you know, they, they create conversation, but they often create conversation in a bubble and, and we thrive off of human connection and we thrive off of differentiating opinions. And so we need to be able to you know, get around other people who are supporting, you know, the, the dialogue, the conversation, the, the, the progression of some of these conversations about race, about privilege, about equality. And we need to be able to come together and have actual discourse. I think that the challenge is that most people, they just resort to social media as a means of, you know, spewing their opinion out and that doesn't necessarily help. But from a, a connectivity standpoint, to come back to your, your point, we, we need that, right? We as human beings are social creatures. And I think that what we really are needing right now are, are more people like yourself, like myself, to elevate the voices of those who normally would not have a voice to speak what their experience is. And mm. when we can kind of come together in, in, in that realm and create a sense of unification, not that we all have to agree on, you know, how riots or, you know, protests or whatever the case may be. Like, not that yeah. we have to agree 100%, but we have to be able to find common ground in some basic areas, right? Like if, if a large part of America can't sort of be able to see that there's a race problem, then that's an issue, right? That's a very real issue. And so we need to be able to bring them in. And, and, and amplify the voices to say, like, here are the problems, right? Here are the very real problems. And here's the, here's the way that we, you know, we see a way forward. There's some very easy and simple, um, you know, legislation that can be passed from a police standpoint that, that will help to protect the, you know, the average person, but especially like you know, black people from experiencing more racism and, and more cases like this from happening. Um, and so there's some very simple things that we can do, but that's not going to happen 
if we continue to separate, segregate, and divide. And that is the tactic that is being deployed right now, right? It's the heavy-handed sort of narcissistic divide and separate and, and use division to sort of pit people against one another and create more, uh, more distance between the unifying voice and message that's actually coming forward. And so we, you know, we need to do our, our part in making sure that we can push that conversation forward of unifying together. And I think, uh, you know, George Floyd's brother spoke out, Terrence uh, spoke out at a rally recently and, you know, really talked about this. And he said, like, you know, we, we need to do better and we need to find a better way. And I think, I can't remember the, the reverend that he quoted, but I think it says something like, you know, justice on the left, right? Just peace on the left and justice on the right. And that's mm. just the idea of like these the two scale. things. Yeah, these two things go hand in hand, right? And it's like love and boundaries in a relationship, right? You need both. If it's just all boundaries, it doesn't work. If it's just all love, it doesn't wow. work. Wow. And so you You're need to right. have... That's so good. <laughs> so, you, so we need to have both of these pieces as we enter in this conversation, because if we move the pendulum to just one side, we're missing out. On a, on a huge part of it. And, and the, the challenge is, as I said before, right now it's happening in the United States, in, in, my, in, you know, in my sort of limited and humble opinion, is that isolation is amplifying everything that's happening, right? And so we, we have the opportunity to just remember that love and boundaries, that peace, you know, peace and justice, they go hand in hand. And so we have to bring them together and we have to bring everyone to, together at the table to have that conversation. Absolutely. And to add to that, bring people to the table that don't all look like you. I think when yeah. you look around your table and they all look like you, and I am specifically today talking about skin color, I think that, that, that that's already a start in order to yeah. kind of open that up and learn from different perspectives. All right, we got to take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about some resources. And you, you said the word responsibility earlier. And I want to know what are you doing to inform yourself in the best way and what kind of things are advising your other as you said white dudes or you said a white guy i'm just a white guy so what else are you using to inform your white guy friends out there when we come back listen honey welcome back everybody i hope you guys are safe i hope you guys are um, doing all right out there. And I hope that this specific episode is helping to energize you and fuel you um, between your conversations and, and between your feelings and what's going on every day. Because every day I feel like I wake up and I hear a different sense of news. And there's nowhere you can scroll, turn to, or Google where you don't find something um, really disheartening and then something kind of helpful and, and hopeful. So I hope that this this uh, podcast will just give you some hope and give you some insight on how you can feel stronger and more equipped uh, coming out of it. And on that note, I wanted to ask you on a big word that you mentioned earlier, Connor, the word responsibility. And I think one thing, if we haven't already, is that we've all learned we have a major responsibility when it comes to the issue of race. I heard a great... Uh, post actually from my co-host on The Real, Amanda Seals. And she was going on, a, I mean, it was a rant or it was basically a checking us and letting us know that it is not a black person's job to educate you on black history. It is not their job to inform us on what we should already know, what we've kind of been a part of and signed into as an American, right? And I thought when I first heard it, I was like, 
I didn't even know that that was a thing, like to, you know, to go and ask a black friend. But I, I understood that when she next said that people have been calling her left and right to just say, well, what should I read? What, what, what should I go Google? What should I, you know, study? And then I had another friend of mine, also African-American, who just was the same thing. She was like, yo, this is really weird when people are calling me, telling me like, okay, can you fill me in on slavery really quick? Like, how did it happen? And so I realized, I looked back in my mind of the times that I knew about slavery. And I said, okay, you know what? Let me see if I, if I know, if I, let me brush up and see if I know what I think I should know. And I started to kind of go down the rabbit hole of just, you know, understanding, you know, segregation. And before that, you know, actually the owning of slaves and Thomas Jefferson owning more than 600 slaves and how much they were sold for and how 12 million African American Africans were brought over. And, and there was so much to unpack that then I thought, did I forget this in school? Like, I, I actually don't remember this much of detail. I just remember that there was a thing called slavery and that black people were involved in it. I didn't actually conceptualize how, how massive of an instrumental piece they are to, to, to you know, building America. And so when I thought about it, I was like, how did I miss this? And then I thought about my, my education at school. I went to Cherrywood Elementary in San Jose and all of my teachers were white females. And I remember my textbooks. I remember the cover of them. I remembered exactly how they looked. So I actually looked them up and they were all made by white men or white companies. And I realized that I knew so much more about our male leaders, our white male leaders and our white presidents and so much white um, celebratory events in history than I knew about slavery. And then I even went to the history book that I had in sixth grade and I, and, I, and, I, and I went and I found it. I actually was able to eBay it, find it, get it. And I kid you not, out of this whole textbook that was about uh, 325 pages of just American history, there is about two columns of slavery. And I realized, wow, I actually learned everything from a very white perspective. Hmm. And I, now at 41, have a big ass job to go back and educate myself on everything that I wasn't taught. So what, what is this, what has it been like for you when it comes to your knowledge, what you knew, did this, did this time um, open your eyes to anything you didn't know before? How has this experience been for you in that place? Yeah. I mean, it's like I said before, it's been a very interesting experience, like coming from Canada where, you know, racism is, is prevalent. You know, it looks, I think it looks a little bit different and it's, um, you know, the indigenous people there definitely have, have suffered a lot and there's a lot of separation and segregation there. Um, but seeing it in the United States is, is a very sort of different thing. And, you know, I've, I have been on a little bit of an adventure of like trying to learn as much as I possibly can. You too. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and my, my, my wife has been a huge part of this as, as well and like really challenging and pushing the conversation and um, mm. a, a few of my friends as well, pushing the dialogue forward. And, you know, last year I did this uh, series called Question the Rules and we, we brought in men and a couple of the men are men that I really respect. And one of them, uh, his name is Hector Guadalupe. He spent years in prison and, and, and whatnot, but kind of hearing their perspective of what they had gone through. And I think one of the things that, that I have really found to be beneficial is like 
hearing the stories of other men and women of color who have gone through these types of experiences gives me a greater context. Now, the responsibility has been on me to go and learn the history of it. And I think that there's, you know, some very um, challenging parts of our society that we can't overlook, right? I think when one of the most surprising things for me that I learned about was when I started to look into like the prison system um, out of that conversation with my friend who spent, you know, a decade in, in prison. And, um, and he said, you know, we didn't, I didn't really have much choice. I didn't really have much choice but to sell drugs. You know, his, his parents both died when he was quite young and, you know, he was sort of left in the streets and, and so, you know, he, you know, as a, as a, as a, you know, young black man, he was like, I didn't really have much more upbringing. I was taken in by a gang and like, they became my new family. Wow. And, and so we started talking about the prison system and, you know, he was telling me about the culture there and et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of sparked this, like, you know, this, this curiosity for me where I went and researched and, and, you know, was just sort of stunned to find that, you know, more black men are, are in prison today than there were at the height of slavery. And it's like, yeah, those systems have just shifted, right? We have, we have modernized the, the system. We have just hidden it behind a new structure, slapped a new label on it and, and continue the oppression, right? And so those types of things are, are things that I embark on. I think, you know, from a platform perspective, it's again, being able to connect with guys in, in my community and kind of ask them questions and, and not from a place of like, you know, tell me what, tell me what racism has looked like for you, right. um, or tell me what I should do as, as a, you know, as a white, as a white man, like to tell me what I should do because that responsibility yeah. is on me to sort of start to educate myself. Mm. Um, and I, I've equated it to um, like, you know, when somebody's experienced abuse in a relationship or a family system, you're probably not gonna sit down with them and just start peppering them with questions about what, what that abusive relationship was like. You know, you're, you're, you're probably not gonna do that. There's gonna be more respect uh, in that conversation. You're gonna go away and do your own research. But I think what we can do is be able to listen when when people of color are speaking. Be able to hear what they are saying. Be able to, you know, source out the the resources and the textbooks. And I love that you went back and found your grade six textbook and started going through it again, right? Because it gives you it gives you context. And mm -hmm. and so I think it's those types of pieces. And then um, and then just being able to bring in you know people within within and without our inner and our outer circles, right? Reaching out to people. Yes and saying, hey, you know, like, I have a platform, I would love for you to come and talk, you know, I would love to just hear you yes. and hear your wisdom and hear your experience. Yes. And, and all, all of that has really been it, right? I think, like, on this Friday, a friend of mine um, and myself invited uh, two Black men. One of them is actually my mentor. His name's Dr. Siri Satnam. Um, and so he's going to come and speak and then Preston Smiles, uh, who's another friend of mine is going to come speak. Oh, and I so saw just, this. You have this yeah. post on your gram. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm going to be tuning in. Yeah. So just starting those types of conversations and dialogues where it's like, look, I am sure I am ignorant to so many things that I don't even know because I've, I haven't walked a mile in their shoes. And, and I think what a lot of people are, are really starting to realize is like the systems are still in place. And yeah. I think Brene Brown had a great post where she said, you know, the system isn't broken, the system is built this way. And that's, that is in some ways the reality of, of the circumstance yes. that we find ourselves in. It's like, yeah, the system's broken. It's not working for most people, but it's certainly not working 
for for the black people in America, and we need to recognize that, and we like we need to continue to put this push this conversation forward. Yes, two things just popped up to me when you just said what you said. One is that it was really cool that you just basically scripted what to say if you want to learn from somebody else. Mm. You basically just gave us an example of what you would say when you turn to your brother of a, of a different color and you say, "Hey, tell me what your experience has been." Or yeah. tell me, you know, how have you felt through, through all of this? How has it been for you? How do you feel during these times? Like just to ask people what their experience is like and leave them that space to just sit back and listen. And that is a very different conversation than I do understand now what some of, of I've heard my, my friends have expressed, which was, you know, teach me about black history. What am I supposed to know? And that, that, yeah. that part is a very ignorant statement that, that, can that's sure to offend but also makes you irresponsible to go find out uh, to, to really feel what it is that you've been benefiting from and that takes me to my second yeah. thing that we need to be aware of is not only the responsibility to go educate ourselves and to go connect with people of other race but to know your privilege like one assignment i just had for myself because i thought what what is privilege you know um I'm a minority too, and although we've also obviously endured racism, this isn't the racism or hurt Olympics. We're not sitting here to talk about who's experienced worse. This is a time to recognize what your privilege is and where you can use your privilege as a jump to go and help the, the bigger issue we have, which is period, Black Lives Matter. So I actually started writing a list and I couldn't believe, Connor, I was like embarrassed of this list after a while because I was writing things from um, I was able to go to school, public school, but hey, I was still as able to go to school. I'm able to stay in during my quarantine. I'm safe. I have food in the fridge. I'm able to post on Instagram. I mean, in Vietnam, a lot of um, um, districts in Vietnam, Instagram is banned and so is Facebook. So there's no, there's no social media because of the communism. I mean, little simple things like that, we forget what our privilege is, you know? Um, uh, so... I just, I think that that's a really good exercise for, for people out there to just sit down and really just sit down and just have a, a, a moment to recognize and write down what your privileges are mm -hmm. and find somebody you love who you trust, who can also point out to, your, to you what some privileges are that you may not be aware of. It's very humbling, but at the same time in that list, if you felt like, I have at times that you don't know what to do in this circumstance in this time right now, you can look at that list and actually see that you may have some advances in that list to go out and help another person. I have a friend who did this assignment with me and just recognize that her roommate has been gone uh, for college and she has an extra space in her home. So she was actually able to, I can't believe she did this, but she opened up her home to some of the protesters in her area. And so she walked out, literally just walked out the last couple nights and straight up just said, Straight up just said, you know, if you are, if you are, sorry, there's a little kid who just walked in, <laughs> my fiance's daughter. Um, but so my friend opened up her bedroom and basically, you know, walked up to the street and said, hey, you know, I have a room if anybody needs to stay over, you know, and, and that was just something she was able to share. And again, from that, Connor came out some really amazing conversations. I also read on BuzzFeed, this gentleman who actually he, he has a, a normal sized apartment, but he, he opened up his home to 70 protesters yeah. that all came and just kumbaya in his house. And he was like, I don't know, they didn't have a place to go. Some people needed a bathroom. So he just opened the house and they ordered pizza. Well, but he, was, he, he had video hot. footage. 
he was shielding them from the he police. He was what? He was shielding them from the police as well. Yes. He was, he was, yes. he was hiding, yes, you're right. he was hiding yes. them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. My God. Such crazy, um, crazy times. But in that time, he was talking about the conversations they had and the experiences they shared. So it's again, just sometimes instead of looking at privilege as, as, as something that, that you should feel bad about, you should own it and then, and then be mindful and, and be educated, inform yourself on how maybe you could use those privileges to go out and reach another person and help. Because I think through those areas of service is where those genuine conversations could come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, I think we need to like let go of the fear of getting it wrong. You know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people. I mean, I've, I've seen this predominantly in, you know, in the Caucasian community with men and women who are just like scared to get it wrong. It's like, no, you're going to get it wrong. Right. It's like when you're learning mm. a new thing, you're going to fail that period. We, st we like statistically know that. So be okay with getting it wrong. Try yeah. to get, you know, try to get it less wrong than the time before <laughs> yes. and, and, and consecutively, you know, work your way towards understanding the issue and understanding what your role is and what your part is and what the privilege looks like and all those pieces. And there's always going to be things that you're not aware of. And I think that's, that's kind of the beauty of the human experience is that, you know, we get to open ourselves to that. And, you know, that's been a humbling experience for me to just kind of open my eyes more and more as this process goes on. And especially, like I said, the move to the United States was, was a huge part of that and being like, wow, like, you know, I, I, I just living in Canada, living in Northern Alberta, where I grew up, that that in itself was a privilege, you know, and I, so just starting to peel back the layers, I think is important. And then to realize that it's not a competition of suffering. You know, I think we, we get into these spaces where we start to identify our privilege, or we start to talk about our privilege. And the part of us from a psychological standpoint, that is in pain, doesn't want to talk about how we have privilege, because it, it moves us away from having our pain heard or seen or whatever the case may be. I call it the, 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 the hierarchy of suffering, right? So we, we tend to um, look at other people and if we just move the, the, the race you know, issue out of the way for a second, I'll, bring, I'll tie it back in here just a second, but just in general, we tend to look at people and there's a part of us psychologically that compares our suffering to them. And it's how we sort of socially rank ourselves. It's how we, um, you know, compare ourselves. Am I, am I good enough to be friends with them? Am I smart enough to be friends with them? Mm. You know, can I date them? Can I, you know, be, you know, be sexual with them, et cetera, et cetera. And so our pain is actually a very integral part of how we fit in in society, how we build relationships. But that pain and that suffering can be a block when we are comparing our suffering to other people. And I think that is part of the challenge that we have right now is that people are, are competing and their, their suffering is, is sort of competing with other people. And so we need to, need to be able to move that out of the way, right? Yes. We need to be able to say like, hey, I haven't suffered in the way that you have, right? I haven't, I haven't walked a mile in, in the shoes of George Floyd or, or any, any person of color. And so I don't know what that's like. And so my responsibility is, yes, I have my own pain that I've experienced in my life, abuse, abandonment, neglect, breakups, the whole thing, right? And a lot of that people are going to be able to empathize with, but I don't, I don't have that pain. I don't have that suffering. And so I want to understand it. I want to understand it better. And it doesn't mean that it diminishes my 
own life experiences and what I've gone through, it, it actually allows me to open myself to a greater understanding of humanity and the human experience. Mm. Because that's at the end of the day, what we all are, right? We're just all human beings. And, and we need to be able to be more inclusive of other people's pain and suffering to understand mm. it, you know? Yes. So, so, so well said, Connor. Last question I have for you, and I'm asking you this as a friend, mm. because it's something that I've realized is happening. And that is, I've started to realize that there are two people, two types of people in this world. People who recognize and care about the racism that exists, and people who are either in denial or don't care. Mm. And that, in my circle of friends has created, has, has made me see people differently. And I'm starting to notice just naturally, it's not like, it's, it's not a hate or anything. It's, it's not, a, it's just a, it's just a natural distancing that's happening within me. As I think about who are the tribe of people, who is my community that I want to have alongside me? You know, mm -hmm. I can have my people that I'm just cordial with and that's fine. But then there's people like, I want to really like iron sharpen iron, like really be, you know, a, a stand with, a, be alongside with, ally with, and, 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 and the people that I call on to take action and things like that. So um, I want to ask you, have you noticed this, this, this same, uh, have you noticed, you know, the, uh, the drawing of the line with your friends at all? And when you do, if you have talked to somebody who's like, I don't know, man, I think this is all kind of made up or not really my problem to fight or haven't we heard of this already? It's just going to blow over whatever they're saying. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that and how do you handle it? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think it's so pertinent right now. <laughs> so I feel like everyone that's listening to this or, or will listen to this at some point experiences this. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, people, people in my life and my circles, um, I think the vast majority get it. You know, I, I feel fortunate that the vast majority get it. And, you know, I've, I, over the years, I've tried to be intentional with surrounding myself with people that under have an empathy towards social issues and race and privilege and injustices and inequalities. Um, and I've, I've tried to be, you know, very intentional around that. But there's, you know, still people that, you know, don't get it or don't see it or, you know, don't want to for whatever reason. And I think in that space, you know, what I've really led with, maybe it's, maybe it's the sort of like coach in me, but I've really led with is like, tell, tell me more about why you don't get that. You know, tell me, tell me why you don't think there's an issue. And, and it's hard because for me, it brings up a lot of rage. You know, like I think a lot of what men are experiencing right now, what I've seen a lot of is that when somebody doesn't get that there is a systemic racist, racial problem in America, there's a lot of anger that comes up and then all of a sudden attacking happens, right? It's like, well, how the hell could does you Does anger come up in you or does anger come out in the other person? Uh, I think that anger generally comes up in, in me and in the people that don't see ah. it. Uh, okay. So, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, but I definitely feel angry when somebody can't see that there's a race issue in America at that basic level, even with what's happening right now, I definitely feel angry. I'm like, well, how, why is that? And so I think for me, it's been a, a case of taking a, a pause and a step back and sort of being able to say like, okay, why, how come? Tell me, tell me about why you, you see this differently. And it's less about me trying to convince them or you know, push some narrative because what I've noticed over the years is that that almost never works. 
And so it's more about for me taking a step back and inviting them to sort of share their part and then questioning it, you know, and challenging certain parts and sharing certain information and, you know, providing certain resources and differences of opinions and, and sort of seeing if, if I can steer the conversation a little bit of a, a different direction. And, and at the same time, being able to take a step back and be like, wow, do, do I need to sort of like reconsider this relationship, you know, because if there's that big of a divide and if we can't agree on this, this simple of an issue, that, that tells me something. But I always try and lead with that curiosity because we, I feel like we need to be able to have the lines of communication open in a more effective way because there is so much anger around, around this topic. On, on many, many different sides. And so, you know, it, like anger is just going to fuel the fire and it's challenging and we, we need that anger. I call it clean anger, right? We need clean anger to be able to have these dialogues mm -hmm. to be like, this is enough, no more of this bullshit and let's have a very real conversation. Don't try and get out of it with some garbage excuse or like you don't have time or whatever, have a real conversation with me. And if you can't, then I don't want to, then, then like this guy, you know, then it's over. But I think just to be able to lead with that kind of directness, but still open and curious, for me has worked really, really well because it's engaged some of the men and women who maybe would just write off this conversation, right? And, and don't get challenged and don't get uh, engaged with, with curiosity, right? And they're just sort of either written off or you know, they, they feel attacked and it perpetuates their story, it cements their story. And so, I don't know, that's, that's how I've tried to handle it. I'm sure that there's room for me in there to improve that one, but yeah. No, I, I love what you said and I asked you specifically because sometimes when we play out the situation in our head, then we can actually picture what we can do. And I'm sure there were many listeners here from my fam who actually heard you and went, okay, I could probably do that step here. Even me, I took in like, I'm like you. I'm, I'm always the Eckhart Tolle approach of like, why do you feel that way? Like why mm -hmm. behind your thoughts? Give me the why. And then I'll always extend an opportunity to learn more from what I know, always expressing, of course, this is just what I've learned and what I've, um, I, I would like to share with you because I care about you and I want you to know if I, if I knew something more than you know, I'm not going to keep you in the dark about it and I don't want you to do the same for me. And then the, the line I start to draw is if it's somebody who clearly doesn't want to learn more or, is, or, or doesn't want to believe or have anything to do more with it. And that's where I think for anybody out there who is very passionate about this, I think it's important for you to surround yourself with people who nourish and, and help you to, to evolve and, and amplify the work you can do and, and the thoughts you have. I always mm. share the quote, you know, if a flower doesn't bloom, do you blame the flower or its environment? So check your environment, you know, who, who are your friends, who are the people you talk to? And I do have friends who kind of have their foot in and out of the, is racism real? I can't believe I have to even say that, but they really do have that conversation in their head. And I'm one person on the, yes, the fuck it is on this side. And then they've got 20 others that are like, nah, man, don't even like, it, it's a lot. It's a whole, it's a whole black thing. And then they're mm -hmm. being pulled the other way. And that's where the example of the environment was really important. Which, which bloom do you want to have? Which way do you want to bloom? So for anybody out there, if you feel like, you know, you've got to recognize and be responsible for your own growth. So yeah. Connor, you're amazing. Will you tell us where we can find, join more of your, um, your men talks? Tell us about your podcast, how to follow Connor Beaton. Yeah, I think probably the, the easiest way is at man talks on Instagram, uh, or you can find me at connorbeaton.com. 
Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was, this was a blast. And, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful that you're having these conversations as well and, and inviting me to have these conversations because I think, you know, more, more of us need to be having them right now. Yes. And I want to have you back again, Connor, because I have yes. a slew of questions for my female fans that are like, <laughs> what the fuck is he thinking? And I'm like, Hold, hold on, I got a friend for that. I'm not good at that, but I got this guy. So no, I, I'm gonna yes. reach out to you for that one next time. Please, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Connor. Please take care of yourself out there and we'll be following you on the gram. And everybody else, please do rate and review this podcast. I'm gonna be posting it on my gram. So DM me any questions that you might have. I'm gonna forward them over to you, Connor. And do follow Connor, please do support his work. And all the men out there, I'm telling you, man, he's the one, he's gonna save your relationships up there. Do it. Bye, Connor. Thank you so much. Bye.